What do you guys think of alarms? Not big fans? They're alarming, aren't they? Actually, I think that alarms are very good things. Uh, They tell us when something is going wrong. So your hunger pains, pangs, actually, that's an alarm that your body gives you that says you need to eat. Um, I need energy. So don't forget, you know, to eat. And so your stomach gives you a little alarm. And alarms help us throughout life, even if they're uncomfortable. So for example, in the morning, when your phone or your alarm clock goes off to wake you up, you probably despise your phone or your alarm, but it's helping you get up. It's helping you start the day. It's helping you do other very important things that you care about in your life, and alarms are good. But there can be a problem with alarms, namely if you can't turn them off. Alarms are great, but if they sound at the wrong time or you can't turn them off, they can actually uh, do the opposite of what alarms are intended to do. Alarms are intended to help you. They're intended to uh, point you towards something that you need. They're intended to maybe even give you a greater sense of security because you know what you need to do. But if they sound and they sound and they sound, they can become something very different. And when Beck and I first bought uh, the home that we live in now, I think it was 10 years ago, we bought on a block we didn't know very well, and we didn't know the people very well yet. So when we first moved in, we thought, well, maybe since we're first-time homeowners, one thing that would be smart for us to do is to get uh, an alarm for our door. We thought that might give us a greater sense of security until we got to know uh, the realities of our own block. So we did that. We got an alarm. Now, the, the only problem was that this alarm would sound at random times. So we would be in bed trying to sleep, and the alarm would go off. We think, oh my God, someone's in the house. And I'd go, you know, looking for a baseball bat, which I wouldn't have. But I'd go looking around the house. I'd go all the way down in the basement. No one would be there. The alarm would just sound. All right, great. We would be out um, to a movie or to hang out with friends. And we would come home and realize that our alarm had been sounding for who knows how long, maybe even a couple hours. And when we talked to the alarm company about this, the tech that came out said, well, you know, anything can set these things off. You can have a mouse run across the floor and it can set your alarm off. A mouse? We live in a row home. We have houses on either side. Um, We don't usually have mice, but there's no way to prevent us having mice. We can be the cleanest people on the planet and we can still get mice because we share walls. And so we thought, if a mouse runs across the floor, this alarm is going to sound. So all of a sudden... Something that we had purchased and we were paying for to provide extra sense of security to us, an alarm, was actually taking away a sense of peace that we hoped that it would provide. Because every time we went out of the house and we left it on, we were constantly worried that it would sound. And it would sound needlessly. So what did we do? We turned it off. And we'd been suckered into a five-year plan and we paid for five years when we actually had the alarm on for three weeks. So be careful... If you sign up for an alarm, because you could be trapped. Um, and the, the representative at that company actually said, yeah, this, this isn't a very fair deal, but this is the way we do it. Um, so alarms, they're meant to be good. But when they get out of whack, when they sound at the wrong time, when you can't turn them off, they become a very different thing. And the worry that it's supposed to prevent 
can often turn into something even worse, which is anxiety. How many of you have felt any anxiety in the last week? Oh, well, you can raise your hands. Sure. Okay. I didn't even ask for that. Go for it. Raise those hands. That was basically, without prompting, almost everyone in the room. And as I talk to people in just the world we live in today, you know, with things that are happening, violence that's happening around the world, people are experiencing worry. They're sounding, their alarms sounding all around them and in their bodies, and we don't know how to turn it off. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to process it. So that turns into anxiety, and we begin to lose a sense of peace. We're built with internal alarms that are good for us. You know, when your alarm sounds, it was originally designed so that when the saber-toothed tiger was chasing you and your family, you would have a little bit extra energy to run a little bit faster, or you would be smart enough to freeze and not be noticed. But that alarm internally would sound in you to protect you. The response is good. It warns us, but when we can't turn it off, in regular situations in our lives, like let's say, too much work to do, not enough time. A boss that's a jerk. Anxiety about terrorism and the way the world is going. That can be a miserable way to live. So right now, we're in the middle of a series that's focusing on the idea that God wants to be with us. And we're studying this during Advent because Advent is the greatest symbol or action that communicates that to us. Advent is a season we remember that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And in Jesus, God became a human being. And one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel. It says he will be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. So in this season, we remember that God wants to be with us, and we're focusing on practices that we can do to reach out to a God who wants to engage with us, who wants to be with us, who wants to be real to us. So this week, we're going to look at something that you might expect as a practice that can engage us with God. We're going to look at prayer But we're going to look at it specifically as a way to engage the presence of God in a way that we experience peace. That whatever the alarm bells are sounding in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, we can turn them off. We can connect to someone who can bring real peace into our lives. This is Advent. During Advent, it's often remembered that Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. We want that to be real. Not just a cool title, not just something that sounds great, not a great idea, but a real experience. How does that sound? Does that sound good? So we're going to talk about really experiencing peace and some practices that can help us into that and into connecting with a God who wants to connect with us. Our passage today is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, As it was edited, it was uh, listed as chapter 8, verses 22 to 27. Let me read this to you. Paul writes to a a young church that just formed, and he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly 
as we eagerly await for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, what strikes me first when I read this passage is this idea of creation being in pain. Do you notice that? Creation is groaning. And the subtext here, if you read what comes right before this, which we don't have time to do today, you get a really good picture of this. There's this picture that something is wrong in creation. Not that it's not good, creation is good, but that something has gotten tweaked. It's off. The very fabric of nature has been disrupted, and now nature itself has begun to decay. But here's the thing. The pain that's referenced in this passage isn't about the decay. The pain is about rebirth. In verse 22, it says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the pains described in this passage as the pains of childbirth are not the pains of death and decay. Nature, in effect, is actually being renewed, not dying. But as this new life invades, there are pains of waiting, pains of anticipation, pains of change as new life is brought into being. We're seeing a picture described of nature in response to what Jesus has done on the cross. That's the whole context of this passage. If we were to back it out and could read the whole chapter. So the story of the scriptures is that the whole world was subjected to frustration by the entrance of sin into the world. That it was a good and perfect creation, but it got messed up by sin. And that brokenness has been the response or the result But that Jesus came, we talk about this in the incarnation, and his mission was to take that frustration and decay on his own back, carry it to the cross, and put it to death so that through his new resurrected life, he could renew all things, relationships, spirituality, societies, even nature itself. So now all of creation is waiting and groaning in anticipation of being touched of being renewed by this new life that's been released into the world. And those who follow Jesus are given the same mission, to carry on the work of Jesus, to take the power of resurrection and touch it to everything that's been broken, to every area of decay, individually, communally, in society. If it's broken, if there's oppression, touch it with the new resurrected life of Jesus and see that life through the pains of childbirth, bring out regeneration, a new creation. And people who follow Jesus are often referred to as new creation in the Bible. The old is gone, the new has come, the power of God is released through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his death and followed by his resurrection. 
And so that's the whole context of this groaning. And the groaning isn't, oh, this sucks, things are falling apart. The groaning is, oh my gosh, things are being put back together. But as things are knit back together, sometimes it hurts. Some things have to die for new things to be born. Change hurts, doesn't it? Change isn't easy, or it wouldn't be change. It would be status quo. And as new life comes, as new things are birthed, creation groans. Creation waits. Creation anticipates. Another word for Advent is anticipation. Waiting for the Christ to come into the world. Now we're waiting for the power of Christ to touch our lives. To transform our communities. To transform our city. So this new life, it's invading, but sometimes it's just pregnant. We get tastes. We get great tastes. We experience the life of God. We experience resurrection on some occasions. But on other occasions, we wait, longing, just like nature, for a full experience of God's new life. Still anticipating more. Advent is all about anticipating the new life of God in ours. And this, this right here, this waiting, this longing, this anticipation This, this is where prayer is born. This is where prayer starts. You notice in verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. In the same way is followed. That phrase is followed by Paul's instruction about prayer. So, Another way to think of this is in the same way or with the same groanings, with the same anticipation. In other words, prayer begins with a desire for more, wherever you are in life. It's an acknowledgement that you need and or want more. We're always anticipating, waiting. I have a lot of friends who are anticipating the release of a film this week. Now take that anticipation and apply it to the areas of your life that aren't working, where right now you just think that's the way it is and will always be, and imagine that you had hope that it would actually change and could change any moment, that next week that area of your life could be reborn, and you're waiting for that. You haven't given up. You have anticipation that the resurrection power of God could invade that area of your life and bring rebirth. And so it's painful to wait like the pangs of labor. But there's hope that just around the corner, in that place, that's where prayer is born. Anticipation, hope, longing, groanings that you don't even understand. And so my message today isn't go home and pray more. What I'm saying is that prayer is for people who are hungry. Hungry for more of the good things promised by Jesus and in the scripture. Hungry for peace of mind. Hungry to get over the past. Hungry for more of God. This is where prayer is born. If there's a longing in you, for something different, for more, 
then prayer is for you. If you're okay with everything, and prayer would be just something you do because you're supposed to do it, then you may not be able to experience what prayer is described as in this passage. This is not a ritualistic sort of rote thing. Although discipline is important and can be a real application of the longings in your heart, this is not a this is what you should do. This is a reflection of who you are and what you're longing for. And I would venture to guess that the vast majority of us in this room, if not every single person, have a hunger and a desire for more of an experience of this new life I'm talking about if we believe it's actually possible. If there's just a little hope in us that that thing in our life that seems dead or that pattern in our life that we can't break could actually come to life or that pattern could really be broken. We could actually change. If any of those thoughts run through your mind, or if you ever think, yes, I want that, but you also think, I don't even know where to start, then this passage is really, 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 really good news for you. Let me tell you why. Prayer starts from a place of hunger, need, desire, longing, groaning, and it continues often, if not mostly, in ignorance, not having a clue of what you're doing in some sense. Verse 26, Paul puts it this way, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Paul, who is a big spiritual wig, who planted all of the first churches except for the one in Jerusalem, practically. He started them. He wrote half the New Testament. Paul says we, including himself, we don't even know what to pray for. We don't. Paul didn't know what to pray for in his life. Paul, who says he had these amazing visions of heaven and of Jesus, didn't know what to pray for. Think about that, and then let it encourage you. So look, if you're intimidated by prayer, or you've tried to pray and it didn't seem to work for you, or when you pray you feel like you're just saying things to the roof of, or the ceiling of your room, or every time you pray you just fall asleep, I can relate to that, I've done a lot of that, I've fallen asleep a lot of times praying, tons. If that's you, great, you're right where you need to be. And I like to think you're in good company, not because I fall asleep praying a lot, but because Paul had no idea what to pray for. There's no pressure on you to be good at prayer. I don't even know what good at prayer is. Even Paul didn't know what to pray for. I don't mean this doesn't mean we can't generally know what to pray for. There's lots of things we can pray for. We, you can watch the news and have... 16 things to pray for. You know, we know God cares about justice. We know he loves this city. We know he wants us to forgive people. We always have something to pray for. But at the same time, we rarely ever know exactly how he's working out those things. Prayer is meant to be communication, like in a relationship. 
you know, you can get more and more familiar with people in your life, but there's always a little mystery there. People, you can't nail them down. It's the same way in any relationship, including a relationship with God, who's infinitely more complicated than I am, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your spouse, or your brother, or your sister, or the person who lives across a hall that you can't stand, whoever. So certainly there's some mystery. There's some exploration. There's always a question mark in some sense as you're praying. How do I pray? What should I pray for? And we can learn principles that help us pray, and that's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to give you some things. But no matter who you are, there's always going to be an element of uncertainty and seeking to know God better in prayer. And that's fantastic. So when any of us sits down or goes for a walk or whatever you do to take time to pray, we all start at the same place. We need help. We have the desire. We know the need. We don't know what to do. But there's good news. The good news in this passage is that the Spirit knows what to pray. God intervenes when we just try. When we set aside a moment to pray, even if we take a step back in the day for a minute. You know, last week, I made a big point that heaven isn't too far away. Do you remember that, if you were here? Great sermon. You should listen to it online. <laughs> um, the point being that heaven isn't a place somewhere else that is God's crib that he hangs out in. Heaven is another dimension. It's not like we can get outside the universe somewhere and find Mount Olympus where God is hanging out. God is here now all around us. And heaven is another dimension that exists where he is. And what we looked at is that we're just separated from that dimension by a thin veil. And that what the Spirit likes to do is like cut open that veil and meet us when we reach out to him. And the picture we see in the Bible is of heaven and earth interlocking and intersecting. And throughout history, there have been places of intersection. So the temple in the Bible was a place of intersection. But since Jesus has come and released the spirit, released new life, released resurrection power into the whole world, any place and any person and any community can be that spot of interlocking and intersection. The prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a prayer for that interlocking, that intersection to happen. And sometimes Jesus says the kingdom of God is here right now. Sometimes he says it's within you. Sometimes he says it's just around the corner. And he uses language. When he says it's coming, in Greek, it's the same words that they use to describe childbirth. As if a woman is in the pains of childbirth and the child could be born any minute. Very similar to the language we see in this passage about creation groaning as if in the pains of childbirth for renewal to break in, for the veil to be pulled back for a moment and the kingdom of God to enter into our present reality. 
That's the potential that we have in prayer. That heaven and earth could intersect in our community today as we pray. That heaven and earth could intersect in your heart, in your person, by the Spirit of God. And in this passage, it says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. Now, that can seem a little confusing, right? Wordless groans. Who's groaning here? Is the Spirit groaning? Are we groaning? You know, what's going on? And I think the answer is both. This is an intersection moment. This is an interlocking moment. This is another picture of the intersection between heaven and earth. How does the Holy Spirit intercede for us or pray for us? He moves powerfully in our hearts to create groaning, his groaning, which we experience as our groanings. There's an intersection happening in these wordless groanings. In other words, our spirit and the spirit of God connect in an amazing interlocking intersection of heaven and earth. And this intersection, this relating with God, this is what prayer is all about. This is what we hope for when we don't know what we're doing. It's God coming to us as we try to connect with him. It's a God who wants to be with us, responding to any inch we take towards him. It's us not knowing everything about prayer, but reaching out and connecting to the creator of the universe. And this is the connection that sustains us, that feeds us, that connects us to God in the most intimate of ways. And this, or the result of this, is where peace that transcends understanding happens. This is how we can experience peace in the middle of a world that seems like it's crazy, or in the middle of a situation that we didn't see coming, an illness, a loss of a job, the threat of a loss of a job, all the things that stress us out. Sometimes we can't change those, but we can, ex- we can change our experience of life in the midst of difficult things, stressful things. Paul writes to another church in Philippians, and he writes this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's an active peace that's working, guarding. Now, our passage today doesn't say anything specific about peace in it, the passage about groaning. But I think if we pay attention to what it does say, it's very easy to see how those things would add up to peace, the peace we see Paul describing in this Philippians passage. Just think about a few of these things. So God's presence, or this intersection of heaven and earth, confirms a few things. One is this, that we don't have to know everything. Paul says we don't know everything we pray for, yet God still intercedes for us. You know, a lot of 
the warning bells that sound in our lives, they don't turn off so easy when we don't know what to do, right? And there's situations in our lives where either we don't have control or we don't know how to fix it. What we're seeing in these passages is that doesn't mean that we can't have peace. Next, um, this indicates to us that we are not watched, but understood. If we were living in a way where it felt like God or other people were watching us or judging us, are we doing this right? Are we doing well enough in life or even in prayer? Being judged definitely undercuts peace in our lives. That's not what this passage is about. This passage says, and he who searches our hearts. So as there's this intersection between the Holy Spirit and our spirit, there's a searching that the Spirit does of your heart. God is understanding what you're trying to pray, even if all you can get out is a groan. Not sitting there judging you not waiting for you to say the right words or hit the right thing or ask for the right thing or repent of the right thing or praise in the right way. He's understanding you. You don't have to get it right. And he's searching your heart. That can bring peace. Also, we see very clearly that God is for us in this passage. So it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Connecting with God in prayer reminds us that he's for us, not against us. The creator of the universe wants to do you good. And finally, connecting with God in this way assures us that our prayers will be answered. It says, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So there's this synergy happens. There's this lining up that happens. Where what we're praying, even if we don't understand what we're praying, is lining up with what God wants to do anyway. And praying into those things, you can be assured they're going to happen. Now, maybe they don't happen the way we expect. Maybe not on the timetable we're hoping for. Maybe it's not even, on, uh, maybe it's not even obvious But God hears those prayers, and he will answer them. And knowing that in some place deep in our hearts makes a difference when it comes to experiencing peace. So how could this work in your life? You know, maybe you have a really stressful job. You don't really have an outlet at work to express your frustrations. So unfortunately, you're noticing it's coming out on other people that you care about. Maybe knowing that you're understood, that God searches your heart, can bring some release to you, so that doesn't happen as much. Or maybe there's a constant ticker tape that runs through your mind that tells you that you're no good, you're a loser. Maybe you need to be assured that God is for you. Maybe you're overwhelmed with life, you can't keep up, and you're wearing out. Sound like anyone? And you need to know that you don't have to get everything right. Or maybe you you just need to express gratitude about some great thing that just happened in your life. Like a new baby or a new job or a new relationship. Whatever the case, we need that interaction. The intersection with God that prayer offers us. 
It centers us. It brings us back into connection with God and puts the world and our troubles into perspective. It brings us peace. So if you're hungry for this type of peace, I'm going to give you a few tips. These aren't spelled out in the scripture passage here, but they're things that I think can help you experience what's talked about in this passage. The first is this. I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to build a sacred, what we called in week one, a sacred rhythm into your life. Spontaneity is great. Praying spontaneously, seeing the sunrise and thinking, oh God, you're amazing. And praying that way, that's awesome. Waiting till the spirit leads you to pray or praying in the spirit, that's great. It's not enough. People in the Bible planned patterns in their lives. There were sacred rhythms that they created. The first week of this series, I said, make it easy on yourself. Look at the patterns that are already in your life and add a prayer component to them. If you have a cup of coffee every morning, have a cup of coffee and for five minutes, be silent. Breathe and invite the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, to fill you for five minutes, ten minutes. Start with five. Make it easy. You have a lunch break. Take the first five minutes before you go out with your friends or whatever you're doing. Have another moment of silence, another moment of reflection. Have a devotional book that you have that someone wrote the prayers for you. But start to get in a rhythm of prayer. I've been trying this in a new way. My whole life, you know, prayer is sort of this picture. You've got to have this big block of prayer. That's great. But I think prayer is more helpful if it's like how we consume food throughout the day. We need energy. We need sustenance. Turning to God for sustenance throughout the day, I think, for me, has been more powerful. So I take 10 minutes in the morning just to be quiet, just to breathe. And I ask the Holy Spirit to come, and I breathe for 10 minutes. And if all I do is breathe, I'm cool with that. But lots of times he'll bring things up. So recently, at least once a day, he'll bring up some relationship in my life where I've done what I can to fix it, but it's still broken. And basically the message is, you're still hurt by this. You're angry, maybe you should be, but give that to me. And so I'll pray through broken relationships that I wasn't anticipating. You know, most of my life I spend trying to forget that stuff. And we clutter our minds with so many things. So at your lunch break, instead of taking five minutes to go on Facebook, take five minutes to be quiet. Instead of checking the hot stove league and seeing who got traded and who got signed, wait five minutes to do that. Take a moment set aside. Try and develop a rhythm in your life. I'm starting to build this into my life. A moment in the morning, a moment at lunch, a moment before I go home. The next thing I think which would be awesome, if I could add just five minutes before I go to sleep, where I reflected on my day and was thankful. Right now, I'm so tired I just fall asleep. <laughs> If I could add that in, I think that would be even more. So build a sacred rhythm in your life. Set those times apart. Occasionally set along a larger block, right? But throughout the day, check in. My second tip to you is this. I've already alluded to. Be still. If there's one thing our culture doesn't have right now, it's silence. Stillness. You have to fight for it and you have to make it happen. 
It won't just happen. The cultural rhythms of the United States of America are, are, are not this. They won't be this, and you'll never have this on your own. You have to make it. That's why I, I choose silence a lot instead of talking. I'm always talking. Be silent. Let your head empty out. Feel in the presence of God whatever it is you've been ignoring and trying not to feel. Did you hear that? There's a lot of pain or brokenness or disappointment in all of our lives. And our response, probably 95 out of 100 people here, is just to ignore it and push on and focus on anything. And when it starts to come up, to go on our phones so we don't have to think about it, to look up a YouTube video, see what's going viral, read about our teams, whatever, you know, don't. Because that stuff is there and it's not going anywhere. And it'll come out in ways that'll wreck your life. So take five minutes and be quiet. And if it comes up, just acknowledge it and maybe sit there for a moment in the presence of God with that disappointment. If you're just silent, great. If that disappointment comes to Pray to Jesus, Jesus, this was disappointing, and I'm angry, or I'm, I'm sad, I'm whatever it is, and I'm just offering it up to you right now. Don't ask him to fix it, just be there. Can you do that? I'm serious. This will help you. This will help you. Third, be thankful. Connect to what's good in life. Thank God. Thank God. Find something. You know, sometimes there's tough times and you can just be thankful to be alive. I got another day. But I bet you can be even more specific about this. And fourth, this groaning thing. Here's what I suggest that you do. Ask God for a prayer language. Let me push you a little bit on this. This may sound unusual to some of you. And it's certainly on the more mystical end of prayer and connecting with God. And when I say a prayer language, I just mean something that I think is referred to regularly in the New Testament scriptures. It's a gift that God gives to his followers to pray right from their spirit to him in a language that they don't know, but that God gives them to express their heart. I think there's a nod to that in this passage, these groanings without words. I think Paul actually means groaning. Like verbal, out loud kind of groanings. Don't you? Not symbolic groanings. I don't even know what those are. But he's talking about something he's experienced. And I think he's seen other people experience of this intersection where you don't know what you ought to pray, but these groanings come that words can't express. And it seems to me that that's been really helpful for Paul. And he's encouraging those reading this letter or having this letter read to them, that it would be very helpful to them. And it sounds really weird, because it is. But I just say, hey, you're on your own. You don't want to pray. Let some groanings out. Open your mouth and pray and see what happens. Because sometimes you don't know what to pray for and you need help. And there's this promise in the Bible in Romans, another part, where Paul says um, that Jesus is at the right hand of Father interceding for us. 
meaning he's got it all covered. So why don't we just release a little bit of that control to him? And sorry, I'm trusting that even if I don't know what to pray, even if I don't nail it, you're praying for me, Jesus. And right here in this passage, it says the Spirit is praying for me and trying to connect with my spirit. Pray about that. Think about that. Try it. Have someone pray for you today. It's mystical. It's different. But you know what? This is a spiritual endeavor we're on. It's not all supposed to make bang, bang, bang sense. This is not a philosophy. It's a faith full of philosophy. But in its essence, it's much more. So let's try something today. If you're on the band, could you go ahead and make your way up? I'm not going to make you all groan today. Don't worry. But I want us to experience and practice praying in ways that hopefully can connect us to God in a way that brings peace into our lives. So what I'm going to do is lead you through a time of prayer um, where I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit and ask you to do a few simple, non-weird things. Um, And then there's going to be silence. And it's probably going to be awkward because I'm going to let the silence go, which is something we don't do in our culture very often. But I think we need it. I think a lot of people here, you need it. If you don't need it, just put up with us for a while, okay? Because there'll be music and singing in just a short amount of time. But here's what I want you to do. Just, I want you to close your eyes. No one's going to be watching you. I want to take, take your hand and just put it on your heart. Okay? And as I pray, I want you just to focus on your hand over your heart and let it remind you of the embrace of your Father in Heaven. And then I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and you can just sit. You don't have to do anything. And if you're just quiet for a while, that's all right. But I'm going to wait and we're going to wait together. I'm going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit and here's why. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, if we don't experience the Holy Spirit when we come together, Why are we coming together? This is a spiritual endeavor and spiritual journey we're on together. We need this. We need the intersection of heaven and earth. So I'm going to wait for a while. It may get awkward, and that's okay. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence We wait, understanding that sometimes that's what we do. We long. We groan. We wait. Come, Holy Spirit.